This is Coda Radio, episode 86, for January 27th, 2014. Listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors: GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. I'm not paying any more taxes. <laughs> And, and thus, in episode 86, begins Michael's show on the road stretch, where he's running from the federal government. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be like a buddy cop movie with me and Ed. And people will be like, Chris, uh, you talk to Mr. Dominic frequently. Do you know where he's at right now and if he's safe? And then I'll have to say, well, we only speak through encrypted means and Skype. Although, although they did just you know, take down to our mail, so oh, there true. are less and less encrypted means. <clears> let me tell days. you about BitMessage. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There's no yeah, Chris, I'll take those uh, sponsor payments in Bitcoin. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, how about Doge? Because uh, Bitcoin, that's worth some money right now. Uh, Doge? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go to Amsterdam. It's like the Apple refugee camp. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, I think you'll probably be able to get a good connection over there. So we could still do the show. I don't think that should... I don't know what time it's going to be yet, because right now it's 9 a.m. On, t- on the West Coast, and it's noon on the East Coast. I don't know about Amsterdam, man. You might you might have to prepare for that. Although it might be more beer thirty appropriate. Well, let me ask you a question. Right now, if we were to walk down the you know uh, just like a main avenue in Amsterdam, and then another similar avenue in Washington State, where would we find more potheads? Uh I well that you see the problem is is maybe the potheads have always been there, huh? Right? You see what I'm saying? Maybe. Uh, here's 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 something I've noticed. If you if you go out of the house and you run into a pothead. Okay. That's one thing. If you leave the house and you run into a pothead and then you run into another pothead and you keep running into potheads, maybe you're the pothead. Huh? Because you're, you're like the Pied Piper of potheads. Is that... <laughs> That's probably going to be the show title. All right. So, hey, I just wanted to say a very special thank you to Heimer16, who's often frequenting our chat room. Uh, he gave me uh, some amazing, amazing coffee. It yes. is it is uh, straight out of Guatemala, Mr. Dominic. And uh, I've been enjoying it very um, slowly, like in the sense of like, I'll, I'll just grind up like a little bit at a time. You know, I don't want to oh, yes. I don't want to grind any more than I'm going to use because it's so precious. Um, and, and I don't mean to, to harp on the whole coffee thing here on the on the quarter radio program. However, it, people seem to kind of be semi interested in the coffee topic. So uh, so for those of you who are uh, here's a I'm showing you on the video version, a picture of what he sent me. It's called as green as it gets coffee. Uh, and it's uh, all fair trade. He sent me two. He sent me a medium roast and a full city roast. And I'm currently enjoying the full city roast. I haven't even opened the other bag yet because I don't want to do anything to like alter its state. And I grind up a little bit and it smells so strong. And then when I put it in the uh, AeroPress, oh man, it is so smooth going down. And it is so good. I, I did not know coffee could be this good. It's like... When my first beer growing up as a kid, yeah, I got a beer. Somebody slipped me a beer as a kid, and it was like a Pabst Blue Ribbon or something like that. And I thought that's what all beer tasted like. And so I went through life 
for a long time having some very mis mis um bad experiences with beer that sort of took me a long time to get over and I feel like that's where I'm at with coffee now like I was I was drinking K-cups just for the caffeine you know just mm, to get caffeine yeah. without having an energy drink but now now I'm drinking this coffee because it's so good and it's got caffeine so it, it's funny you should mention low quality beverages. I'm currently drinking a Corona. <laughs> That's actually, as far as low quality beers go, I actually like the Corona. Yeah, it's like the Cadillac of crap. Yeah, and if you put a yeah. little lime in there, it feels fancy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm actually enjoying the Corona, and this Corona actually comes from the back of an abandoned warehouse. Uh, we're not going to go into that, but <laughs> a friend of mine happened to find several cases of Corona. You know, this is New Jersey, Chris. Things get lost off of trucks. Oh man! Bridges close, you know. It just happens. It's nature. Listen, me and my buddy Chris were just having some beer, um, <laughs> closing some bridges. Yeah, just, yeah. Not this Chris, a different Chris. Just closing yeah. some bridges, stealing some beer. <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing hanging out with your buddy deals with sports stadiums. Yeah, Chris's buddy uh, uh, Ford and you get together, and uh, you guys <laughs> just hang out, <laughs> mocking Democratic mayors. It's what we do. It, it, it's a good time, really. You know, we had a pretty fired up pre-show. Uh, so the Coda Radio Show is live on a Monday over at JBLive.tv, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific, noon p.m. Eastern over at JBLive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it in your time zone. Gosh, I feel like uh, I feel like we have so much to get into that uh, we should probably start by thanking uh, one of our sponsors right off the top here so we can get into a batch of really awesome feedback that's going to make me feel good. It's and, and that first sponsor is the United States Treasury Department. <laughs> if you've seen Michael Dominic, please send tips to tips <laughs> at irs.gov. <laughs> Ouch. No, 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 of course not. It is ting.com. You guys know about ting, don't you? Ting is my mobile service provider going on over a year now, and you can get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. That's where you're going to get started to take $25 off your first device or $25 off your first month. If you've got a device you can bring, and Ting has a whole BYOD page where you can see all the compatible devices, including iPhone 4 and 4S for you iPhone users. Now, why would you want to switch to Ting? Maybe you have a mobile service provider now. You, you likely do. I mean, a lot of us have a cell phone. If you don't, well, then it's really a no-brainer. If you do, let me tell you about some of the reasons you might want to switch to Ting as opposed to what you might be with right now. First of all, Ting is focused on the customer in a way that no other cell provider is. At the top of every page on Ting.com, you can find their phone number, 1-855-846-4389. That's Ting FTW, one ting FTW. If we were to call them right now, oh, we should do this one of these days. I don't have a phone hooked up. But if we were to call them, a real person picks up the phone, and that person isn't the person that then transfers you to the uh, retention department or the Android troubleshooting department. No, that person that answers the phone is fully up to speed on all Ting devices, all Ting operations, and can solve your problem right then and there. They give you their name, their number, and they take care of you. So let's start with that. That's incredible. That's good for you just to save time. It's also good if you're like Mr. Dominic and you got a team or if you're like myself and you're building a small team or if you're even working in a group of 10 or more. Think about how nice it is that instead of you having to field the support calls for all of these people, you can with confidence have them contact the Ting support. On top of that, Ting has an incredible dashboard that really lets you take control of all aspects of your account, monitor your individual devices, activate, deactivate them, set up call forwarding, your voicemail options, things like that that are really nice to have. And the way they do it with a very responsive dashboard that is built around industry standards is very impressive. And again, like no other carrier. But on top of all of these great things, 
I've just mentioned, Ting also has no contracts and no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. Each Ting line starts at a flat $6 per month. And then it's just your usage on top of that. Ting's got a really innovative way they do it. They take your messages, your minutes, and your megabytes, whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay at the end of the month. It's really straightforward. And every Ting plan includes lots of extras like voicemail, picture messaging, video calling, or I'm video messaging, three-way calling, caller ID, tethering, and hotspot are all included with every single Ting plan. But here's the best part. If you're ready to switch over to a wireless carrier who respects you and who is built around providing good customer service, who doesn't believe in contracts, who has some of the best Android devices that you buy outright and retain the value yourself over the long term, if you're ready to make that switch, Ting will make it easy with the Early Termination Relief Program. You can go to ting.com slash ETF and they'll pay you up to $75 per line that you need to cancel to get out of your oppressive monopoly controlled mobile provider now. Go do it. Go to CodaRadio.Ting.com. Those guys are awful, and you know they've been taking advantage of you, and you know Ting is the place to go. CodaRadio.Ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting. Now, going on some long-time Coda Radio uh, support, too. We really appreciate that. So uh, it's always great if you guys support our sponsors. A big thank you to Ting. CodaRadio.Ting.com. I feel like I should always add .com to everything. Com. Now, yeah. let me ask you a question. Does Ting run Linux? Because I know Tim Hortons does now. <laughs> That's right. They do. They have some Linux servers. They do indeed have some Linux servers. Yes. Yeah, not to mention uh, they're pushing out a lot of Android devices these days, too. Lots of Android, which is Linux, my friend. It is Linux. Yeah. I, I definitely appreciate the enthusiasm chat room. Uh, I don't think going on the lamb is a proportionate response, though. <laughs> What's going on over there? Oh, wait! Michael Dominic has lost it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, you could just, you know, do contracts out of a coffee shop and, you know, disappear. I think that we should all make those businesses fail. Mm-hmm. Oh, be mm-hmm. quiet, you hippie. <laughs> Ruining everything. All right. Should we get to some of our awesome email that we got this week? And I call we it awesome it. because it's so positive for us. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, really. That's my favorite kind, right? Yeah, all right. Is. Well, uh, our, our first email came in from, uh-oh. <sighs> See, my Star Trek bias is going to say Goran. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it looks like Commander Goran. Uh and I know I'm not I but I I don't know, maybe it's Goran. I'm not sure. No, Goran is also a Star Trek. <laughs> Anyways, he says, phenomenal show. I've been a long-time listener of various armchair science and skepticism podcasts, but have never considered trying to find others which relate to technology and the current state of software development. After putting the question through its paces on Reddit, I discovered Coda Radio and figured I'd give it a shot on my current lengthy commute. This was about two weeks ago, and I've almost listened to the entire catalog. Needless to say, I'm a huge fan of the show, and it has made me reconsider several previously held viewpoints regarding software, piracy, pricing, ongoing career and personal goals, development opportunities, and my general outlook when it comes to other languages and paradigms. Please keep up the great work with this and your other shows, which I'll branch out to once I've caught up on Coda Radio. Wow. How, did, how about that, right? And I'll say yes. this, too. I'll say this. Now, and I don't, I don't know this stat necessarily applies directly to podcasting, but uh, and uh, I've heard from, some, from multiple radio DJs that... Uh, about they expect about one percent of their audience to ever write in or call in, right? And uh, I don't. I think that number is probably higher for podcasters because um, podcast listeners are like a step above radio listeners. Are like they're more awesome. They're more engaged. They're you know they're more savvy. Two, at least yeah. yeah, a step doesn't really. Yeah, that's one giant leap actually. Yes. 
but it it so I I but still we don't hear from uh, you know I, m- the massive the massive majority right it's the massive majority that are silent so it's cool when you hear people write in and you hear that you know they're getting a little something out of the show it makes it all feel so worth it all right so uh, it feels so warm and cuddly now let's reach someone who hates us so Eric wrote in and uh, <laughs> he wants to talk about the CS hate now uh, he he takes us to task I suppose here and uh, he writes uh, as a computer scientist. Student, I thought I could give my perspective on the should I study medieval lit or CS yes, to become a programmer. <laughs> By the way, I just started with the podcast course in Middle English lit. Very fascinating cool. stuff. Uh, he says, I think the podcast is perhaps slightly one-sided on this issue. Mm-mm. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. Go. Here Hello, we go. Everybody. Okay. So he says, one thing I have noticed is that, as Mike says, it seems like the quality and range of computer science is very large. From what I hear on the podcast, it seems like there aren't enough good CS programmers in the U.S., Oh, <laughs> hating across the Atlantic. It seems like all they teach is trig and calc and Java. In my one and a half years as a computer science bachelor program at Stockholm University, we have had courses in yeah. Java. What? I just said, yeah, but yeah. that's not Germany. Py- no, <laughs> Python, C, C++. Further down the line, we'll learn Erang, Ruby as well, and, and so on. We have taught how to, we've been taught how to use SVN and get, holy crap, how about that, Mike? And we've had, we've done a course in how to do software testing. Holy smokes. We also hmm. have those theoretical courses in logic, uh, theory, and discrete math, algorithms, and data structures. So I'd like to say that we have a, oh, hello, hi there. Uh, I'd like to say we have a pretty well-balanced program with theory and practice. I would certainly say that the theory does make one a better programmer. I have, for example, been greatly helped by Automat courses for a project I'm working on that involves compiling a language to another. There certainly are concepts that one can learn better from a university that are very valuable to a programmer. Graph theory and good understanding of algorithms and data structures can be useful in some fields. Just like knowing how to do good testing and how to use version control software is very useful. After that core dump, I guess my main point is that there is universities that teach really valuable stuff, and it should perhaps not be dismissed out of hand directly. Sorry for the rant, but I'm sure you can surmise this to two lines. <laughs> Oops. Uh, keep up the good work, Eric. I didn't, Eric. Sorry. Uh, so it sounds like, Mike, that maybe it is – he is saying that perhaps what you're seeing is a product of some bad schools, essentially, or bad so programs. I've actually heard this before in other fields. Um Apparent, you know how in the U.S. you take two years of nonsense, you take two years of like general curriculum, and then yeah. you take two years of your course. Apparently, that's not the case everywhere else. I've always now, I gosh, I mean, I've always entertained the idea. I'm not saying this is what it is, but I've always entertained right. the idea that perhaps that is profit taking on the part of the schools. But then people always say, "Well, no, it makes you more rounded," you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you know, it shouldn't I, I mean, be Eric, able to Eric's opt to be more rounded? Is, it, Eric's curriculum is very impressive. But it, it definitely seems like I, – I don't know how schools in Sweden work. I know here that every university I've talked to, every student I've talked to, no one takes source control. That is – I know, and it's so right? crazy. No, I mean. no one takes practical software And we've had so, people write in and defense say, well, you know, honestly, you know, it changes so often. But I would argue that I think we've kind of landed on Git and we're going to be hanging there for a while. So if, Not only that, just the basics of good – you know. Yeah, right. You need to use source control. Right, yeah. Right, like – The um, fundamentals of source control. I th- I think what's happening is that you know we're having a very U.S. perspective, and well, that's who you've been trying to hire, right? So to be clear, I certainly don't think taking math is a bad thing. And we had someone on Reddit post the same thing, and we had a good conversation. Unfortunately, I couldn't link it because Reddit was down this morning. Which was weird. <laughs> 
um, much like Gmail last week. Oh my gosh! You yeah, know, it was a pain in the ass. You know, when you yeah. when your business emails on there, I was yeah. in, I was in the middle of uh, an important correspondence. I wasn't happy about that. Not to interrupt. Not a problem. So it it, it seems like, and this may be a different school thing. This may be a different course thing. I have not so far seen a school where they teach practical development and theory. I've seen only theory and unfortunately the theory makes you ill-equipped for the job alone, right? If it was both like Eric says he's getting, then that's, that's probably good. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong in terms of, you know, I don't know how every school in the country does it. I, I certainly guess just know to, how. To summarize, though, what you've been yeah. seeing from the from the people you're talking to is they come out of school, they are under perhaps the mistaken perception that they are ready to go out of the gate. We're ready. We've been taught. So they're under the perception that they've been trained to be software developers. Right. And yes. in reality, they've got a few concepts and theories. Right. But the fundamentals of just being able to sit down and hit the ground running and work with a team are completely missing. Are completely gone. And one point I think I made last week was that the only university that has so far done well um, is Monmouth U local to me, but they separate theory from practice as two different courses, two mm-hmm. different majors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it could depend on the schools. I know one of my uh, my PM there took a science course and he said it wasn't like that. Well, hi there. Hi there. You know, I've always found... I also know that my phone likes to ring. <laughs> well, here, I'll mute it so we don't put their number on the air. Uh, so I've, I have found, too, that, like, I think sometimes it happens in the U.S. because you can have the old graybeard teachers who have been around for a long time, and they, they, can, they can run their tenure teaching the theory and the concepts. And then the young whippersnapper professors are supposed to teach, like, the practicals, and it's up to the student to figure out which ones are which and how to take them, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the problem. Does that sound possible? You know, the, the one common thread I'm seeing is that they have capstone, what they call capstone experiences at the end of uh, their senior years, which is like, okay, now you have to learn how to do the job. Mm. But you're not going to learn that in, you know, two months or whatever. I, I, you know, I just don't – because so everybody who's argued that the theory is important seems to think that, you know, takes the practical stuff as a given, Right. Um, I guess so. Like they just figure, oh, you'll 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 get there, and within a day or two, you'll have it all figured out. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't really care if you can make the for loop run faster if you've now broken Git and it takes me two days to fix the source control, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe it depends on your area, what you're doing. Maybe it depends on it. May just be the school, right? Because I've actually heard similar things in different programs outside this country where they're a little more focused. Yeah. Um, and for sure, I you know I think we've probably not held the students themselves to task enough for this. On some level, it is their personal responsibility to kind of keep up. That's right? true. That's true. And it seems like I don't know. This is I mean, it just seems so obvious to me that with so 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 many open source projects out there that need help, it, there's so many. Right. Even if they can't go get an internship, they right. could go work on something. They never even have to leave their house, and they could get practical experience while they're taking the course. And it really would – it just seems like if you're a self-starter, you might just go seek that out on your own anyways, regardless of what the school is teaching you. Right? I mean – Maybe. I, I 
So I have a hard time with the concept of these kids go to school, they spend, you know, what does it cost to get a four-year degree now? Right. Six figures? Yeah. I mean, is that... And they're totally ill-equipped for a job. I do lay some of that on the school. Yeah. Especially when they're being told, go to college so you can get a job. Not so you can be a better person. Not so you can learn, you know, higher math and know how to think better. Not so you're more rounded. Right. And and this goes back into the argument of, you know, vocational education versus more of a humanist thing. And, and it's almost irrelevant, right? At the end of the day, different schools are so wildly different from each other that it doesn't matter true with different programs different motivations different employees it's you're never going to get one thing yeah and the the one the one thing i i would say is it certainly you know if if the argument if your argument or, or anyone else's argument is well they have to do a lot on their own too I agree with that but then i have to question the value of the degree why are you spending that money from their perspective mm-hmm I mean, if you're totally incompetent when you come out after spending a hundred thousand um, dollars, doesn't matter how rounded you are. Yeah, I mean, okay, so yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. So is it just that you have to go to Berkeley or UC State, right? Like the the big, you know, the the big tech schools to be good, maybe. But uh, to me, you know, if I if I was the dean of a school, I would see that I'm selling a product, mm-hmm. and. Right now, of what I've seen so far, the product isn't very good. Well, I got some good news for you. You want some good news? How about yeah. that? That might that might cheer yeah. you up. Okay, all right. Well, Fry writes in, and he says, Good morning, Chris and Mike. I wrote in Dakota Radio a couple of months ago about a job opportunity working with IBM RPG Ivy. I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty cool. And it's got IBM and RPG in the title. I forget now what that was. He says, I got lots of feedback from you and the community about whether I should accept the job if it was offered. I'm happy to report that I got the job. And I'm starting in a week from today. If uh, He says, I'm happy to report that I got the job. And start- oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, t- I'm taking a 19% raise for my .NET position I currently had. That's awesome. Thank you all and the Jupiter, and the Jupiter Titans. Okay, I don't know if th- Titans is going to work. I like Titans. Well, it's a Saturn moon. It's not a Jupiter moon. <laughs> I, I realize this. Uh, but he says, thank you very much for the advice. I'm not sure I would have taken the job without a nudge from all of you. But now I couldn't be happier. Thanks again, Fry. That is some awesome feedback. That's some follow-up right there. That's great. Good, good, yes. <laughs> and another one. You know, I, that is a success story. Yeah, I would really like to hear kind of, um, you know, down the road how it's going. Because, you know, there's the honeymoon period, and then it gets you yep. get down to work, and I'd be curious how it all goes through. Uh, did, somebody had in the chat room, oh, somebody said RPG is good. I just, I don't, I, don't, I think of RPG as either a role-playing game or a tactical weapon. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking uh, small missile systems right now. BSD dude says we could be Jupiter satellites. Or a Jovian. What about uh, the Ios? No, that's no good. The Europas? Nope, don't like that either. It's a language. Ah, okay. All right, thank you, chat room. Uh, all right, why don't we, before we go to our next email, let me look here. What is our next email? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Something for the Linux users out there. Uh, I want to thank DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting. And uh, I found out about DigitalOcean through Mike, who said, I use these guys for my backend deployments all the time. And now we've been getting emails from folks that say, hey, you know what? DigitalOcean is saving me some money. 
In fact, uh, we got a note right here from Garrett, and Garrett wrote in, and this is such a, I'm loving these stories. Garrett wrote, uh, he says, I'm currently running a very low-budget website on DigitalOcean. The promo code you shared saved me two months in payments. Thank you very much. And we have uh, somebody in the uh, chat room right now who is running his webmail on a DigitalOcean instance, so that's pretty cool. People come up with all these different use cases for their DigitalOcean droplets. So what is DigitalOcean? Well, I started to tell you a little bit about it. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting. They are dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Check this out. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. And what is so awesome is that's a quantified cost right there. Boom. You know exactly how much a terabyte of transfer is going to cost you every single month, and it's $5. And you get that 20 gigabyte SSD, and that actually really is noticeable. I'm on my Archbox up there all the time, installing new packages, updating things like that. Boom, 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 flips. You just flies right by. You combine that with their bandwidth and and those SSDs, it really is rocking. Uh, you know, like me, I've gotten to now, I'm, I'm like... I'm like 47 seconds. I can create a cloud server in 47 seconds. Now, most users, 55 seconds. So you see what you can do. Maybe you can beat my record. You let me know. DigitalOcean also has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. Their interface has a simple, intuitive control panel, which power users can replicate on a large scale with the company's straightforward API, which is fantastic. But it doesn't just stop there. DigitalOcean also offers a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site. You can go in there. If you've got something you want to do and you have an idea of what technology you want to use, but you want to read through somebody's guide to set up your DigitalOcean droplet, their community is full of that kind of good information. And you can submit your own article to the community. And if it gets published, you'll get paid $50 per piece. That's pretty awesome. And here's the best part. Coda Radio listeners can save $10 or can get a $10 credit. I'm sorry, you'll get a $10 credit, which will get you that server for two months if you get the $5 rig, which I've been running now. I, I, I should look, it's been quite a while. And, and you know what else? It has not had a single issue. It has been rock solid perfectly this entire time, which is awesome. I really want to say that, I, you know, between the performance and the reliability, I have come to depend on my DigitalOcean droplet, and you can too. And you can get started by saving $10. Just get this promo code, Coder Radio January, when you check out. Put that in there, and then give you a credit. You'll get two months of DigitalOcean hosting, or you can get a bigger machine and try it out for free for a month and just see what you think. They also offer hourly pricing if you want to just test an app on a public server and have people bang on it or a website, something like that you're working on. It's a lot of great options. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Coda Radio January. Coda Radio January when you check out and get a ten dollar credit. Try out a five dollar machine for two months. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, I teased it a little bit. We have an email here for the Linux users like me. It's uh oh man, uh, Karim, Karim, Carlim. Is there an L in there? No, just Karim. Karim, no. Oh, yeah, I bet it's cream. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, So he says, I bet everybody loves it as I see her try to figure that out. He says, I asked, uh, I'm asking this from a pragmatic standpoint and not from an idealist purist. So keep this in mind as we go forward. Hi, Mike and Chris. I have worked with .NET for quite some time, and I love the framework. When I learned about Mono back in the .NET 2.0 days, I got very excited and followed the severely lacking project with complete dedication with hopes that someday Mono would catch up to .NET and I could continue to develop in my favorite language, C-sharp and ASP.NET, on my favorite platform, Linux. I've now realized that day will never come. Instead of bringing .NET to me, 
Mono has become a frustration that will constantly tempt that constantly tempts me to switch back to .NET, and that is offered only <laughs> on Windows. The tooling around Mono under Linux isn't up to par with the competition, or even with the Zamarian has to offer on Mac for Windows developers. Over some time now, I've been inching towards the Qt framework on desktop and mobile fronts. I don't even miss .NET on desktop now. However, I'm experiencing .NET withdrawals for web development. ASP.NET plus MVC was what I found comfort in due to the familiarity with the platform and the choice of language. Qt doesn't offer anything in that space. The other stack that comes in mind is Java Play. But sometimes Java, probably the desktop toolkit, keeps me away from it. I write this email to come to you as a once.NET developer in the middle of an identity crisis in search for a new development stack that I could proudly use on Linux. Thanks. Million dollar question here. I think this is really a million dollar question. <sighs> so I, I feel like... So I'm a little confused, actually, though. I, he seems like he, he loves something about the Windows platform, right. but doesn't want to use the Windows platform. Right. I mean, and that's what I... I feel like he wants to run Linux on his box, but has would prefer to dev in MVC4 or whatever. Right. And, it, you know, he brings up an interesting point about uh, about uh, when he gets to web development, right? That's where he's noticing the biggest the biggest gap for QT, which... which <laughs> makes, yeah. I mean, that's really not what it's for. Right. Um, I mean, I like Java Play, so you're really not going to hear me blast Java Play. I would say that if you're used to a lot of the magic in MVC, you're, you're, I mean, you're going to get probably 90% of that. Blaster suggests that perhaps this is a job. For PHP, <laughs> I think not. Uh, Inappropriate. I, I, what I here's where I'm stuck at for this guy is because I, I do feel his pain. You know, right. I, uh, not to make it all about me, but I, I, I want to run all Linux, and yet the tools I use to produce shows, Logic and Final Cut, and it drives me crazy, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and I'm, and the tools on on the Linux side are not satisfactory to me. I, I. <sighs> It really comes down to, I think, the two questions he has to answer. First one is, is what is the target platform he's creating applications for? And then what makes the most sense to create that application? And if you follow that back and it leads you to Windows, that's the reality of the situation. Right, and, and, that's, and that's the issue. If, if you were primarily developing you know, software for Windows Server, you're not really going to want to not use ASP. Um, you know, I had this issue. You know what? This is going to start a flame war, but do it. We're good. I, we've actually stopped offering Azure services um, for a couple of reasons. Some of them are selfish. I mean, having to maintain tool to tool to uh, two or three tool chains was difficult. You know, we never really stopped offering Rails, we just offered other things in addition to it. And so now we're kind of doing Java Play and Rails with just 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 a just a dash of Scala where I can throw it in there. I don't like maintaining more than like one box. And I don't think VMs really work on the on the client side. You know, I mean, I'm not sure what you would do, Kareem. I mean, what I was doing is I was running VMware on my Mac and VMing Windows 8 to do to do Azure development. Um, 
are you going to do that too? I mean, there are lots of problems with that. You could experiment with Steam streaming, like the chat room right. is suggesting. Um, we just covered that on the Linux Action Show on Sunday, and that allows you to run full-on complex Windows applications. You do have to have a dedicated Windows box to stream them from to your Linux box. Right, but, but to, it's, to be- it's not great though because you're working on the remote service file system. Right. It's really not integrated. Right, and to be fair, you know, I'm just going to call you Kareem because I think that's how your name is supposed to be said because it's spelled that way. You. The issues I had with ASP, you probably like, right? Uh, I get the sense that you're used to your Visual Studio tool chain. You're used to all your stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I have to ask, why are you giving all of that up? I'm thinking there's going to be a loss of productivity, right? There's going to be other issues. Maybe that's what I feel. Like, I honestly feel yeah. this, this niggle in the back of my head that – uh, if I had something dependent, I'm nervous to having stuff dependent on the Mac platform because I feel like Apple right. could change that up. The Windows platform, in my mind, you'll probably disagree with this. I believe its sunset as a popular development target has already happened. We we reached peak Windows a while ago, and now we are in the decline. I cannot think of a mm. single compelling Windows application. Right. So, that's so is, Azure, is Azure part of Windows? Well, this is so. This is the area. Well, the, so that's kind of what it comes down to. This. Right. You brought me to my next point is if that's his development target, then that's what he should go for. If he wants to focus on mobile and other desktops and just the desktop in general going forward, he probably should stick with QT. Well, he's he's obviously doing web development. I mean, he mentions ASP.NET, MVC. He mentions Java Play. So that he's not doing client-side development anyway. It seems like he, he wants to run a Linux box, yeah. but he's a trained.NET developer. And that is not a situation that's... that's I mean, rough. I know 20 people are going to write in about Mono, but... That's not ideal, especially if he's charging people for these services, right? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I is Azure compelling? Yes. Is it going course. to be a dominant uh, cloud hosting platform as a service? Yes, but it'll probably, honestly, never be much more than third in terms of like things you want to target for. Right, but again, if if he's a .NET developer with any reasonable time of experience, right? Any reasonable amount of experience, he's already steeped in the .NET world enough that Azure is probably a very big player to him where it's not for us, right? For me, DigitalOcean is a much larger player, for example. And I don't, yeah. And I see, I think the thing there is, is that uh, that's, that's going to be more of the case going forward. I think it's not the, I think it might, even if it's the minority now. I, I think you're underestimating how, how often the .NET space is medium to large size corporations where they buy Microsoft because yeah. that's what they do. I mean, in our space, where we're working with, you know, well, independent companies, smaller companies, or proof of concepts for larger companies. I can deploy Linux left, right, and center, right? But isn't that what people used to say about Windows on the desktop? Well, that's what they do. But now that's not so. Now, I mean, the sales are dropping through the floor. Things change. It, it could change. I mean, it could change. I'm just concerned about his, uh, you know, it'd be great to say, rah, rah, go ahead, drop all the years of experience you have in .NET and go ahead and do Java Play. I obviously like Java Play. I mean, I talk about it. We must have had three episodes on it already. But I'm not sure that that's a, a smart move for him. Just like, you know, trying to be an Azure shop where Azure was a top service for, for me was not really a good idea. I feel like we have picked a really interesting transition time to do this show because right. if we had started 10 years ago, 
But we'd we'd have to ask him if he's crazy. Right. And if you look, I've been thinking about this and it's still, I'm still putting it together in my head. So I haven't really talked about it much on air, but uh, the early, the early thing I've been considering is if you look back at the, at the birth of the computer, the personal computer industry, um, you know, the, the, it really was extremely fragmented, right? There was multiple operating systems, multiple vendors, everybody was making something, Radio Shack had a computer and it was, it was everywhere. And then the GUI came out and things started to consolidate and then Microsoft came out, Apple makes a misstep and then Microsoft creates this quote unquote stable. And I mean stable in terms of developers know what to target, not not actual operating system stability. A stable platform comes out that developers say, this is obviously my choice and it dominates for like 10 to 15 years and it is so clear and it and some of us were born of that era and came up in this era and we that was the universe we knew and now it's actually going back to a much more fractured multi-vendor everybody's making a phone LG Sony right. every single person out there's got a phone they everybody's got their spin of Android some people further like Amazon some people not uh, it, it, everything is sort of re-spreading back out again. It's like we're decentralizing all over again. And it, cloud is huge. There's big, massive cloud platform providers now that didn't exist before, but there's still multiples of them. So it's a so much me, harder question to this. answer. From the admin perspective, I mean, would you, if you were still more actively doing admin contracting, would you try every new hot thing or would you kind of pick one or two? Well... I always take a look. Right. I think like right now, for example, if I was still doing sysadmin work, the question, the, the, hot, the hot contention when building projects wouldn't be should we deploy Linux or Windows, it would be should we deploy Linux or BSD. I feel like right. that's the direction of that conversation. That's something that I would be in the middle of trying to figure out which, which ship I should be you know, on to, for deployments for clients. And uh, that's an interesting contention there. That's, a, that's an industry change up. FreeBSD is really with ZFS has really been pulling ahead on the back-end infrastructure stuff, not to mention it's just mm-hmm. a good platform. There's still Windows there, but now it's Windows is the solution when the application requires it. It's not the go-to. And Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, one of the few reasons I've, I've deployed Windows in the last two years was, A, Azure credits, but I don't think that's <laughs> real. I mean, that was a, that was – I don't even want to talk about that because that's – it happened. It was a thing. It made sense at the time, whatever. Um, you know, because we have Windows IT admins on staff, right? Yeah. That 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 was the only other common reason. <clears throat> I just, I guess, I just worry about him if he has, you know, he doesn't mention how many years' experience he has in ASP. Right. Quite but some he, time. I mean, back to dot dot net days. So right. while. So maybe what you could do is continue billing yourself as an ASP shop and just offer something else on the side. Yeah. But don't do a full like you don't have to. It's not like changing your religion, right? <laughs> You're not you know I, you don't go from Catholic to Protestant. I think like it, you, yeah. you can be half and half. If I was going to uh, inject a little bit of my own personality into his question, I would say right. he's gotten, and maybe he hasn't fully re- or she hasn't fully realized it. 
but I believe he has gotten bored with .NET. That's why he branched out, yeah. looked at other things. And now the rational side of his mind is coming back to him saying, you have years of experience with .NET. Yeah. You can do things other languages can't do. Other, you know, there's lots of reasons here. I have all of these really good practical reasons. And that's like his right brain and his left brain is like, well, let's go over here. Let's explore. Let's be creative. Let's learn something new. Let's push into a new territory and be there as it arrives. And he's he's a conflict with these two things. And it's a very understandable position. And I think the only way to really look at it is just go with your gut. What are you going to what are you going to be willing to get up in the morning when you've had a shitty night's sleep and you really don't want to work? What are you going to be willing to work on and go that direction? Because that's really at the end of the day what matters. See, and I would just I guess I'm a little just a little more conservative at heart. I would say, can't I do both? Can I keep the safety of all these .NET clients? Although he may not be a contractor either. I mean, we're I think we're both putting a lot of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I'm worried about losing revenue. Right. I'm worried about losing business. And I'm worried about not wanting to get up in the morning. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how you are. I'm yeah. like, you know, I look at Google spreadsheets and I cry. And, yeah. and you you want to find your bliss, you dirty hippie. <laughs> and uh, and, hey, and man. That's, hey man. Yeah. <laughs> Kareem, we have not been helpful. Uh, I would say, however, if you are going to try something new, Java Play will not be such a culture shock for you. Right. But I would also say, for the love of God, use IntelliJ instead of Eclipse or Eclipse are both bad. Use IntelliJ. There you go. All right. Well, I want to tell you about something else that uh, gets me out of bed in the morning if I'm lucky. Whoa, whoa. This is a family show. <clears throat> and that's uh, Danica Patrick over at GoDaddy.com. Oh, Danica's back to celebrate the Super Bowl. And GoDaddy's got a fantastic deal for Coda Radio listeners. Use the promo code. Get ready for this one. It's going to save you 30% off. 30 deal two. First the worst. Second the best. 30 deal two. That's right. Go over to GoDaddy.com and save 30% on anything new in your shopping cart. Mr. Dominic, did you know... The GoDaddy is now offering a hosted Office 365 solution that includes like full-on Office, Exchange, and all of that stuff. And this, for me, is Microsoft product delivery done right, where you go with a reseller who gets you a better better discount than what you can get. By the way, you also can take 30% off that. And you get support from GoDaddy, which they have an entire infrastructure in place already to support you with. And on top of that, you don't really have to install any software. You can use the web-based versions of stuff. It's really kind of the ideal solution if you're in a position where you need Office, but you don't want to keep buying it and you don't want to pay full price. Go over to GoDaddy.com. Use the promo code 30DEAL2. On top of that, they got brand new WordPress hosting rebuilt from the ground up. Get yourself a .com, maybe a .tv, a .am, a .fm. Get yourself a cert. Put it all in that inbox or that cart. And then use the promo code 30DEAL2 when you check out. And by the way, when you're over at GoDaddy.com, you can check out their new uh, Super Bowl. Danica is looking so buff. I feel like she would break me. If, she, if we ever met, she'd be like, you know all those things you say? Boom. <laughs> right in the face. She, she's scary to me. Anyways, go over to GoDaddy.com and use the promo code 30DEAL2 to check out to get that 30% off anything new. They've got all kinds of stuff over at GoDaddy you might not have considered before, including the website builder, which will help you spin off at a mobile-optimized site that works quite well. You can also get Office 365 from GoDaddy. Like I said, Exchange is great for team collaboration, but you're not going to want to run your own Exchange server. N- don't do that. Just... Go get it from GoDaddy. $3.99 a month. $3.99 a month. And our deal, 30 deal two, will take 30% off. Right? That's pretty crazy. Lots of good things over at GoDaddy. Keep an eye out for their Super Bowl ad, which will be uh, coming up during the Super Bowl, too. Yeah, you know, GoDaddy actually uh, made my life less painful last week, so I appreciated that. They oh, have yeah? this thing where it's like, 
instead of having to ask this person to give me their account credentials, which I, I don't ever really want to do. Right, you don't want that. It's like, here, this guy can do whatever he wants in this specific area of my account. I know, they really got the team tools down. Yeah, it's that was so pretty awesome. helpful. And, you know, when I was when I was a contractor, it was invaluable. And now that we're doing stuff for JB, we got, you know, like, Alan's got a whole bunch of permissions on stuff for, for the back-end stuff. We can, give, we can give it out like that and not worry about the security because they have all of that managed. And if we ever stopped working with somebody, we just drag it out of that folder. Boom. It's like they've thought about this stuff. Maybe that's why they're the world's number one domain name registrar. It's go time. Go over to GoDaddy.com and thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Up program. <sighs> I like them. All right, Mr. Dominic. So uh, that brings us to a topic that we don't have a lot of time left for. Yes, I don't know. Do we want to wait or do we want to have a nice, <laughs> thick, juicy show? What do you think? Do you feel like uh, you want to go to – I mean, I'm, I'm down for it and we can just go as long or as short as you want on it. Do you want to just do it like that? I mean, I've, yeah, I'm down. I mean, okay. I, I, I can't imagine us going – Super long. Okay. So, so you yeah. called it processes 2.0. Are you kind of rethinking the way you're doing some stuff? So, you know, I'm a, a big a big fan of Agile Haterade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do brew it myself, actually. I'm kind of a <laughs> kind of a Haterade hipster in that way. I, I've got my own little micro brew thing going on. Oh, dude, we should share recipes. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Oh, ha- have you ever, not to derail us anymore, but have you ever brewed beer? Because if we ever want to do like I a cook. not. I would love to. Though. I've done it once, but I'm definitely total 100% noob. I would, you know, like in the summertime, maybe we should do like a little Coda Radio Brew thing and we'd do it with some of the audience and stuff like that. Think about that. And they could, again, thank you. I got another package of coffee, I, I should mention. Oh, <laughs> thanks again. That's awesome. The UPS guy is like another delivery. I got, uh, I got uh, somebody in the chat room told me earlier. Today, I, I missed it because I was, uh, I was doing a, uh, I was doing a podcast. But somebody in the chat room earlier said that uh, I have another bag coming to me too. I cannot believe it. This is so awesome. So it, great. if people be interested in the beer thing, in fact, maybe if we've got some beer brewers in the audience who could email us and maybe they could work with us, we could get like a a shared doc going. Or I don't know. We'll talk about it off air. But anyway, yeah, we'll have to figure something out. So processes two point Mike revisits agile. So, all right, you know, unlike Sauron, I can't just telepathically tell people what I want them to do, like have them know. And it it seems like this is kind of what processes are made for. So in the past, I've been pretty hatery on Agile, right? Uh, And I stand by most of that haterade still. In fact, almost all of it. The reason is Agile isn't super effective in the type of development I do. Only because you often don't have, an un, you know, you can't often adjust the budget, right? But I'm, I need a way, and I, I've been needing a way to kind of streamline things. And I had my pseudo-agile sprint process working, but that really was kind of a, a one-man process, so to speak. Do you know what I mean, Chris? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of assumptions made because I, I kind of knew what I was doing and I knew what I was thinking. Uh, that, so this is a huge problem I'm going to face uh, in a couple of right. months when Rikai comes on. You know, eight years I've been doing all of the production on all of these shows. I've been doing all of the editing, all of the publishing, the entire production pipeline. This Jupiter Broadcasting is a straight up content factory. There is yeah. there is like there is like this massive pipeline that I have to now show to somebody else. I have no idea how to do it successfully and. You know, it's a huge problem. There's no real process, quote-unquote. There's just the routines that I go through. Right. And 
so, so it's exactly like that. There are, there are certain things I was doing that I didn't know that I was doing. I mean, I obviously did them and I knew that I did them, but I, I didn't know to tell people to do them. Right. That's exactly what I'm worried about. Right. It hasn't been a super major problem yet, but I'm starting to look into, and I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, what sort of methodologies would make sense? Now, I still, my core objection with Agile or with any of the more keep refactoring till it's right methodologies is that they kind of assume that the budget can change. That's often not the case. Um, you know, I, I don't... It's easy to say you can manage change if the person will go along with that, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Very much so. They'll even, so she, even despite what they say, right? Despite what they say, <laughs> you know, they could be, oh yeah, we're an agile shop too. Don't worry, let's let's partner up on this. Oh, but here's our fifty page design doc. <sighs> are you sure this isn't waterfall? Because it sure as hell feels like waterfall. Okay, well, what kind of budget are you looking at? You know, it's exactly X dollars. Well, this is now waterfall, right? You know, you know, and. I know that it's not necessarily true that all agile projects have to have soft budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly seems to work better when it's more of an hourly thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and to be fair, even before I was more pushing the agile thing, I always noticed that the clients who were happiest were the ones who didn't say, this is my, you know, who didn't want to bid wanted an estimate, right? Mm-hmm. Is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because they want they had the freedom to change without us having to sit down and redo the document, redo the statement of work, you know, sit here for have two to three days of just negotiating being done on every little change. Yeah. And when you have a client like that, Agile definitely seems to work for me. And I want to um, if I could just hit the pause button right yeah. here, that you are um probably not appreciating the fact that the ability to have a back and forth communication on a with a client during agile is is you're better at it than I think most. I think most people really struggle. The communication breaks oh. down fast. Expectations completely are not met. I mean, it is it it causes this avalanche of miscommunication that then right. breeds into a failed client relationship. Right. I mean, I ha- I certainly haven't been perfect every time. No, it takes it, years to learn, yeah. especially in the beginning. There were there were you know, it, and it's never like you know, some clients have this idea of the dev who rips them off. That's almost never the case, right? But they a lot of them think that, right. and it's always, you know, I remember one experience. Um, well, more recently, was simply test flight was down, or Apple was down more mm-hmm. accurately, right? Mm-hmm. The code sending authority. That was a communications nightmare. I mean, I was still working full time hours, even though I couldn't get builds to people, trying to explain to them that I couldn't get them built. Really, I'm working even though I can't right. show you the proof. And, and the truth is, I you know, I offered to freeze projects to just stop working until, you know. But they have timelines. They have timelines. And, and you know, I would say out of X projects that were on, only one ended up deciding to leave, which is fine, right? I mean, the problem was they just didn't want to deal with Apple. At the end of the day, they said, we can't deal with this, you know. Yeah, not really your fault. Right. But it's unfortunate. And, you know, budgets are done with a certain amount of projects in mind. So it it kind of does hurt. But, you know, I've been, so I've read three Agile books over the last two weeks. 
And they all make this assumption that bids can change. Which is awesome. And a lot of larger clients, that's certainly the case, right? Where everything's an estimate, everything's hourly. Yeah, I mean, we call them estimates, right? But Right. Yeah. But that's not always the case, especially when you're dealing with like a you know startup incubator who just wants to get this off the ground and see if it's even worth their time. And I haven't found a methodology that really approaches that. You know, because at, at the even even some of the agile bloggers I've been reading, you know, I've been reading. I mean, Rob Connery is not necessarily an agile guy, but I mean, he is. But he, this, you know, his core thing is Rails and .NET. It, at the end of the day, you're still going back and still renegotiating documents. How do you avoid the problem where it's, it doesn't become some custom process, some custom thing between every client? Because that right. when you're a single shop, a single guy shop, that's fine. It can lead to a lot of frustration and confusion. Right. But when you're a multi-person shop, then the wheels really start to fall off because nobody's really on the same page at that point anymore. When you have a defined process that everybody can follow, you can get more predictable right. results. Which is good for so, estimates. So, in fact, I'm leaning. I've started leaning on GitHub a little bit more. Okay. They have this feature called Milestones, where it you set a date, a task list, and uh, or or issues depending on how you're doing it. And that's simply how you keep track of things. Interesting. But, e- but even with that, you still get into the conversation. The client will call you and say, "Oh, can we change this one thing?" Usually, the answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is. Yeah, but that's going to have to go at the end of this milestone for the next month, right? You, you're right. still having to manage that change. It's, it gives you a quantifiable thing to say we right. have to accomplish, though, and that's a huge advantage when you're trying to communicate with somebody who's not very technical. Right, and the, so I have to say the process I'm currently using is working better than the old process, but it still requires someone to be you know, a front man, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Someone that's still trying to explain things constantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is in your case you which is always me because you're the best at it because you've been doing it for a while and the people on the team are not quite as familiar with it but then it also means that perhaps the most experienced developer in the team isn't doing as much development work because he's busy handling the client relationships that sometimes is the case yeah I mean and to be fair one area we've not had problems is code review because we do we do uh, again leaning on GitHub a lot we do pull requests, which every pull request has. I review the code, or someone else does. Um, and to get merged in, you have to pass the code review. Also, and this is totally going to be next week's show topic, adding in automated testing. Oh. I've been on my own. And this fingertip guy who's listening to this is going to be a little surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on Hello, my everybody. own. I've been on my own doing a little J-Unit foo. Oh. Um, so, Yeah. You know, trying to add in all these things, but still coming down to the core problem of, you know, we don't, I don't want to dip into the testing stuff, but you cannot test user experience, period. Right. Um, and really what today's topic is, at the end of the day, I'm still sitting there with a the PDF talking to someone on the phone for two to three hours. But that is not changing anytime soon. Now, is that a bad thing? I would say it's not productive. And I would say the more it happens, I feel like people can and, and to be fair, this might just be me being overcautious, but I feel like it's almost kind of a um a communications issue in that people a lot of people come in saying they want a bid, 
right? Yeah. yeah. But they actually don't. What they, they want really, is what? They really want to know that they're going to get one milestone done, get one build in their hand that makes them happy. Right. And what happens is once you have that build bid structure set up, you then have to either work within it, which is frustrating for everybody, or somehow at some point throw it away. So you're saying they get a minimum viable product essentially, and they say, okay, thanks, we don't need to go any further. Well, no, 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 they don't do that. They get like the first build, and they're like, this gave me all these other ideas of ways I'd like to change things. Oh, oh, yeah. The agile setup, that's fine. Okay, well, you know, we said the next sprint was going to be X hours. Well, now it's going to be either we're going to have to split it and add another sprint, or it's going to be, you know, X plus Y, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're getting to the situation if you have that firm, more waterfall style bid. Think, okay, that's awesome. I'm glad you would like a little more work, but we have to sit down with the statement of work and we have to, right? you know, I either have to convince them to turn over to Agile, which to some people sounds like a shady, um, it feels a little uncomfortable, or I have to constantly manage these almost like fixed bidding per feature. Per change, which is totally inaccurate, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I guess so. I mean, if you take it to its logical conclusion, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to quantify the value of that contact time with the client, though. Like right. that generally breeds a happy client relationship. And then that means somebody who pays you. So it's not necessarily all bad if it's, I, mean, so I, I guess what I'm saying, if, they, if, it, if in your process, the area that you're finding takes the most time involves a high contact with the client, then that's not necessarily a, a really bad problem. Right. And that, that's one thing to do. I've not, I haven't been stiffed in years. So, it, you know, it's. It, it perhaps is good. I mean, it, there's another aspect to this also with, you know, internal projects, the sprint based agile sync to me is more appropriate for other people's projects because. You know, it's based on t- getting things done at a certain time to deliver to someone. Mm-hmm. Where I would almost rather have a more open development p- process for internal things, right? Mm. You know, I've been looking at Trello, which is uh, I, Chris. Are you familiar with Trello? No, I'm not. Trello is a. Uh, do you know what Kanban is? No. Okay. Kanban. Kanban is a different type of agile, right? Kanban. Bon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. It's it's almost like post-it notes on the wall with what you want to do. Okay. And you kind of just work like that. You talk to them. Trello takes that to its crazy-ass web-based conclusion. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Where you can have a threaded conversation, upload screenshots, little, I think even media, stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of awesome. And, you know, it, it's something that I think is really helpful. I'll give you a perfect example. Last night on Twitter, someone tweeted me about CodeJournal. They love the new update, fixes a lot of their prompts. By the way, there's a new update that fixes a lot of the issues and adds a little cleaner look and better, some uh, additional feature. So is Trello.com? Is that the right? Yeah, I think that's correct. Organize anything together. Together. It's by the Fog Creek guys. So Joel Spotsky, his old, his old gang. Okay. I'll link to that in the show nizzles. You like, you yeah. like, the, you like how hip I called the show notes? Show Nizzle's dog. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. You, I lost my trail. Oh, oh, so we got this feature request. You know, hey, it doesn't seem to work with two-step authentication. Is this a bug? No, it just doesn't work with two-step authentication at the moment, right? So in the Kanban model, we could more put 
two step off as a card and have a more open discussion about it. So I like it and I don't like it. Because hmm. it's not quite hand, structured enough? Well, even with first party projects, we still you still need to get them out. You still need to ship. But you you still um I you know, I don't know. It it's a tough thing because you, you want to have that more open relationship. But on the other hand, you want to kind of not, right? So what I'm thinking of is a lot of people actually open up their Trello boards to customers and say, this is what we're doing. Mm. I see that could be potential pain, right? Mm -hmm. So like in this code journal example, you know, what if I simply decide I don't care enough about two-step off, right? Or that there's only like four people that I know of who use it. Is it worth what will be actually kind of a pain to implement? And then if someone adds a Trello card for that and I say no, does the conversation then become, you know, co-journal neglect security, right? Hmm. Well, I suppose you'd have to articulate a good justification right. if it's going to be public. Well, and the justification is a lot of other GitHub, GitHub apps don't support you step all for the reason of not many people use it and it's kind of a sloppy thing to implement. Like, it, It's hard to make nice. I can see how that would concern you about putting it public. Um, and I suppose my counter to that would be is it depends on the client. It would seem like some clients it'd be better suited for and some clients it would not be. And it would sort of be a more case-by-case case basis. Because you could see how if you were working with somebody who had maybe a technical representative on location or was fairly well uh, fairly well understood software development or even you know the, the general concepts, having them have access to something you know, it would really keep expectations in line. It would keep uh, everything kind of in sync naturally just by using your existing workflow. And there's a lot of value in that because you can just do something that you're already doing and, and keep in great sync right. with your client. Um, but it, it would also seem like there's clients where you would have that issue. Now, on a, on a public app like, like uh, CodeJournal... Right, that's what I'm more thinking <clears> of this Kanban methodology. I think, uh, I mean, it's a slam dunk for an open source application. Oh, of course, yeah. I think that I think for open source app, it's in fact it probably save you some admin time, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. On a commercial application, I think that also, you know, if anybody was going to do it, it would probably make sense to be a project like Code Journal because the people who are going to be looking at that are probably going to be other developers. Right. I mean, you might find you get value coming in that you didn't expect. Well, and, and to be fair, uh, CodeJournal is probably a good project to do it with because CodeJournal is at that point in its life cycle where it's, you know, it was one of the first GitHub client apps, let's, right? Let's flip this scenario a little bit so that way you right. can remove it from yourself and think about it more critically. Um, you know, I think most people are familiar with Instapaper. Uh, it's made by sure. Marco Armit, and he sold it a bit ago yeah. to Betaworks. Betaworks, right? Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, you know, he just got to a point where he was kind of done with the application. He wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do. Right. He had a few things that he knew he should implement and clean up, but he didn't really want to do them. And so he did the best thing to, for the people who purchased that app is he sold to somebody who was a good person to take it over that would be uh, that would carry it on and so far has done a great job doing so. Um, everything they've done has been improvements, and I'm back to using Instapaper. So it was a good move on his part, but... I wonder if you weren't at the point where A, you wanted to sell it, or B, weren't really going to make enough money to make it worth it. 
but you're still kind of stalling a little bit, then it seems like what's the harm? Like what's the worst case scenario is something comes in. That's a good idea that hits that sweet spot of time versus uh, demand and you implement it and code journal just got X amount better uh, when you were really kind of at a point where you weren't sure where to go next, right? right. And it also help you gauge uh, interest and demand a little bit too. You can get a sense of community participation and translate that eventually to demand it, it to some degree. That's possible. You know, I think the Instapaper case. I guess it is a very similar case actually, because it did well in its category. It was one of the first in its category, and then it got harangued by a bunch of free competitors. This is what I'm thinking. Right. It's, it's almost, I mean, obviously Instapaper on a much bigger scale, but it, it's almost the exact same situation when you think about it. Uh, maybe. I mean, uh, hey, Betaworks, why don't you give me a call? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there you go. I'll take however millions of dollars you gave him. <laughs> the problem solved. Uh, there I'll you take go. Half. <laughs> Well, uh, but if that's not an option, then th- yeah. this is a ra- this is this could be an interesting competitive advantage, even if there is, you know, like but, like really, because there could be some smart folks from the Coda Radio audience that jump in there, right? And you although, know, although I, I can see the cards already, Linux. Yeah, cards, I know, Ubuntu, right? Yeah, that's very that's true. Somebody then needs to moderate this, which is that is very true. You will get a lot of that stuff that you're like, yeah, not a bad idea, but not really the focus right now, right? Uh you know, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because what what I've kind of been doing with Code Journal is, you know, it's been in it's been in a bundle. It's you know, it's been here and there doing other weird side things outside of the Mac App Store, um, and it's still in the Mac App Store, of course. Mm-hmm. And I've just been trying to update it to keep up with GitHub and clean up the interface a bit. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And unfortunately, keeping up with GitHub actually requires about as much work and time you have to put to it. Right. A good. Uh, a good yeah, I mean, I've, I made a few significant changes that I like, mm, but oh, nice. Really, maybe that just goes to building something on somebody else's service is kind yeah. of but the problem a is, tough situation. Git is a yeah. great thing to build stuff around. I mean, well, for just, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, the, the most common feature requests I get is bring the gist functionality back. Oh, int- well, I could understand that, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't know, you know, if, if let's say we, we did a Trello board, right? Or even an open source project did a Trello board like this, tried to do like this weird public Kanban thing. Yeah. Would that make sense? I mean, would it just be a deluge of me too comments? Yeah. Well, I suppose if you, if you had a little control or if you did, if you just maybe didn't open it up to everyone, cause you would get a lot of that, but if you right. had some way to, you know, maybe somebody emails you and then you bring right. them in or like you, you, you know, you toss a few threads back and forth and maybe instead of having hundreds of people you have 50 60 people right i don't know and you'd always you know it's kind of i mean you could also open it up you know that's the only thing you could do is like you could open up for periods of time even here like you say on the show hey we have this open for a little if you'd like to get involved and then close it down and then let that settle for a bit see if anybody needs to be weeded out give it time till you're feeling good again and then open it up again for signups for a little bit you could do things like that too Right, because what's interesting is I think Trello themselves, they, yes, so Fog Creek does the development for Trello on Trello publicly. So I'm going to put a link in the chat. Oh, nice. Okay, I'll grab that and put it in the show notes. I, I, I have no idea what's going on in the chat room right now, but okay. Uh, they got on the topic of Doge. Yes, uh, and, and you know, uh, I think sometimes the chat room gets a little drunk on Doge. Yes. Well, this so is pretty they, cool. Yeah, so they actually very publicly do this, and you can kind of like bother them and stuff. 
Well, that makes sense. They are definitely eating their dog food. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly... In fact, there is a dog right there. Is it Doge? <laughs> God. Yeah, I know. It just all keeps coming back. So, no. so you can kind of get an idea. Google Drive login, independent of Trello right. account, Google login. And then I could jump in here and be like, oh, this is... So it's a threaded conversation right. where people so, are discussing around a specific feature. So I have a few things. Why aren't more open source projects doing this? Because this looks like an amazing way to handle that, right? Well, for one, it's probably not open source, right? So... Trello! I don't know. I don't know. No, you know what? It's and probably not. Let's see. I'm on their tour page. Let's see. And it's all free. Trello is free and forever, but doesn't say free is in freedom. Free is in crack. It doesn't say free is in freedom. Um, But uh, so that would be one thing. The other thing is, you know, they have mailing lists and whatnot, I suppose. A lot of this happens on mailing lists and open source projects. Ah, yes. The mailing list of doom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which does not work for a lot of people. Uh, so this is this would be very interesting, and it, it, I bet you if this sees some success, I bet you'd see an open source uh, sort of take on this. Good for them for doing it right out here in the open. It's actually pretty interesting to see what people are thinking about these features. Yeah, it is interesting to see the developers' response. Yeah, and if I was if I was closely, especially if I was dependent, I I'll give you an example. If uh, Telestream had something like this for Wirecast, oh my God, I would be such a happier camper. I, first of all, I'd feel like my voice, at least I could have it heard. And second of all, I would, because my business is dependent on the functionality of that software, it would really be great to get an idea of where it's going. Because that's honestly one of the best things about open source software is if I'm dependent on it, I usually get an indication before something huge happens and I can prepare myself for it. And there's other things, but like forks. But, uh, you know, I would, just putting myself in this suit, if, 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 if Wirecast was in here, I would be reading these threads constantly just keeping an eye on what's going on right hmm. indeed could, could yeah, be I a mean, way I, to make happy happier could be like a new a new sort of value add in a sense you buy the app you get access i don't know it, it, it just seems like you know i'm not even thinking like for my use personally just for the wider audience if you were doing an open source project why wouldn't you put this on trello and, and maybe the answer is because people are obnoxious and it's just another way for people to bother you on the internet. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's the answer. Hi, Poppy. Maybe, yeah. Well, all right, Mr. Uh, Dominic. So, yeah, wrap her up. Okay, so we have links to Trello if you guys want to check that out in the show notes as well as links to other stuff we talked about. And uh, just, a, just a quick reminder that uh, you can join us live here on the Coda Radio program over jblive.tv Mondays, 9 a.m. noon Eastern. And they hang out in our chat room to talk about Doge. I mean, most of the time they're on topic. And you also get to help us title this episode, which we vote on at the end of every show. Mr. Dominic, if folks wanted to track you down and follow you throughout the week, where should they go? They can find me at DominicM.com. Very nice. You know what? I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well as our social profiles. You can follow me on the Twitters over at uh, Twitter.com slash ChrisLAS. Check out the network on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Broadcasting. We've got all kinds of pictures going up there all the time. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here. Oh, by the way, email us, CodaRadio, JupiterBroadcasting.com. Sorry. All right. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>